reaching from way down here. Yeah. Yeah. From way down here. Welcome to Thread, a podcast designed to explore God's story and lead you into a full life in Christ. Thank you for joining us in this conversation, co-hosted by myself, Hannah D'Souza, and Dr. David Pochter. We are now in the middle of our series, God's People Birthed. And today is the fourth episode in the series, and we're going to be talking about Jacob. So last week we looked at Sarah and Hagar, and now we're going to be spending the next, this episode and the next episode on Jacob. And we will discuss the majority of his life story in this week's episode. And the next week we're going to narrow in on his wrestling match with a divine being and dedicate an entire episode to that wrestle. So Dave, maybe a Good first question is why two episodes for Jacob? Yeah, that's unique, right? We're not, we've not done two on one person. And there's a few reasons for that. As we've addressed before, when the Hebrew writer slows the story down, we're supposed to pay attention. And so we see first that with Abraham, there was 13 to 14 chapters about Abraham's life. With Jacob, we see similar. There's actually 12 chapters about him. We saw very little about Isaac. So we almost forget that, you know, Isaac was the dad here, which we'll see play out a little bit in this story. But the reason we don't see much about Isaac is it's kind of like the Hebrew narrators telling us don't pay much attention to Isaac. Then when we get to Joseph next, we're going to see another 14 chapters on Joseph. So that's one of the reasons You know, Jacob's also the very first story that we see that we get to pick up from his birth and follow all the way through to his death. So if we remember with Abram, he was called as an adult to follow Yahweh. And so an integral part of Jacob's story is his birth narrative. So that's big. We have a whole life story. And what we're going to find out is he actually had a long life that he lived. So we also see Jacob's story as one of the most complete narratives in the whole of Scripture. And we see this ongoing tension that we're going to talk about between Yahweh's intent and will, but the painful reality of his humanness and the need for transformation. So when we look at his life's journey, we start to see this kind of reveal on the concept of spiritual journey. And that's going to be one of the big elements that we introduce here today. So as we've been talking in all these episodes there are things that are being introduced to us, whether that was covenant or it was, as you addressed in our last episode, foreigner. We're going to see spiritual journey and maturity and transformation now become an integral part of the story that kind of all gets introduced here. So we also see, as we saw with Abraham becoming Abram or Sarai becoming Sarah, that, that in this case, transformation is marked with a name change. So in those cases, it was more tied to covenant, but now we start seeing it even tied to a different person, right? Jacob becomes someone else. There's a before and after to the transformation. So Jacob is kind of a typological model for the narrative of the upcoming people of God, Israel. And so what we start seeing with Jacob's kind of narrative and transition and spiritual journey, we're going to see similar with Israel's transformation and spiritual journey. Yeah, I have always found 
uh, a connection or an affinity with Jacob because I think he, I grew up in a family of faith and I imagine Jacob grew up hearing all the stories of the way God worked with Abraham and Isaac and but I love that there's this moment where he has the dream of Bethel, and I know we're going to get into it, where he sees kind of the angels ascending and descending. And I imagine I'd have crazy dreams too if I slept on a rock. So that's interesting. So, and in this dream, God makes this profession, like I'm going to walk with you. And then when Jacob wakes up, he makes a vow like, okay, if you will be with me, then you'll be my God. And I love that it's not a given that he's just going to inherit this faith of his forefathers, but he makes that kind of choice and own, owns it for himself. And every generation, I feel like, needs that reminder that God gives him and that encounter with God at their own kind of Bethel moment. And then, yeah, it's cool to see him kind of own it and decide to orient his life following that. So I think that's probably why it resonated with me growing up. Well, it also happens that he, when he's a much older man, which That's as we start true, seeing the yeah. timeline of his life, right, we're going to see that. But but the concept that you're addressing, which is is really the important part of the or an important part of the story, is journey, 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 journey. That we start off in this life, and there's a formation thing that's happening. There's a God's intervening, Yahweh's present, and and how that develops through our life becomes important. And, and if we remember back, even when we were talking about Genesis and Genesis 1, we talked in verse 26 of Genesis 1, when it says, God says, let us make humans in our image according to our likeness. That one way to look at that was that image and likeness were different. Image was this innate, unchangeable reality that we're all internally hardwired with God's image in us. Regardless of how we live, we're, we're made with this divine image in us, but likeness was different, or we can think about it differently, which is how we choose to pursue God or Jesus in our case and become like. So that's an ongoing transformation process that we engage in. For Christians over the last couple thousand years, there's been a number of ways that we've thought about spiritual journey. There's an ancient way that was around for hundreds and hundreds of years where they had these general stages, the purgative way, the illuminative way, and the unitive way that the, we would transition through as we move through the spiritual journey. Maybe you could share a little bit about what those big words mean for the lay person. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> the big words. <laughs> so the movement of transformation was looked at, purgative meaning to purge, and so the purgative way was the first step in becoming what God calls us to is that we have to purge things out of our life that are not of God. And that's kind of step one in that transformation. Then we move into the illuminative way, which is where once we've kind of said, I'm done with, I'm dying to, in our, our new language, I'm dying to myself, then we're illuminated. We, we learn about what Jesus is and, and who he is and what we're called to. And that's a massive part of our life's process is to learn and become like Jesus. But then we get to this kind of later stage when we've done that for so many years or decades that the ultimate goal is to be in the presence of God and to have nothing standing between us and God, to be completely united the way that Jesus could say that he was united with the Father, right? And that seeing as a, a later stage in life where we've worked through purged out and become 
so much connected to who God is and what he wants from us that we're completely in unison with God. So that's the beautiful kind of vision is it not, of what that's supposed to be. Now, is it not necessarily a given that those will all be reached in a lifetime? Curious. Well, I mean, that's, that's such an important question because when we start talking about journey, the idea is that there's this ongoing formation that's supposed to be happening in our life that many people never reach. And the more we talk about journey, you'll start, we start seeing that some people may get older in age, but spiritually they don't really mature. Mm, that's convicting. Right? <laughs> so as we unpack this for the next couple of years, more and more, I think we're going to see that. So now, I mean, there's so many more complex and nuanced understandings of journey. Certainly the development of the social sciences have given us a lot of insight as we start understanding the development of ego or the development of psychological stages. And so there's been a lot of work done in the last few decades in particular where people trained in that kind of psychological or even sociological ways add to this conversation of understanding. And they're being integrated now into spiritual stages. So we'll talk more and more about that in episodes to come. Stay tuned, <laughs> right? Stay tuned. But what we want to do with Jacob is we want to tie into some stages that we see in his life that we do see tie into general journey concepts. And there's, some, there's a really great book that was done by Kenneth Bailey called Jacob and the Prodigal, How Jesus, is, How Jesus Retold Israel's Story. And he's an expert in ancient Near East culture, and he did another book on Jesus, seeing Jesus in his own cultural context as a, actually from the ancient Near East instead of the way we tend to see Jesus. But what he does with Jacob is he talks about these 51 points of commonality between this story, the Jacob story, and he argues that Jesus is retelling the story in Luke 15 with the prodigal father and, and the lost son. And he actually says there's 51 points of commonality between those two stories, which is amazing, right? But in general, this is a story of exile and return. So Jacob's life really is the story of exile and return. So with Jacob's journey and specifically, we could kind of look at this in six stages of development for him. So first of all, this kind of independence need to leave home. And it's in that leaving home that you bring up that he comes to his own faith, right? Which is important. There's this struggle that we see that happens. It's like a rite of passage, which again is common. We all have to go through. Then there's this humility, this recognition of the divine presence and the need for God in his life. We go on and we start seeing transformation, which is we're going to get to in a whole episode. That's our whole second episode we're going to do on transformation, which is Genesis 32, or him wrestling with the divine being. Then we move back into this kind of reconciliation that starts with forgiveness and grace with his brother and his family, which ultimately leads to a full restoration of relationship or reconciliation. So those six stages happen in Jacob's life. We also see them happen in the prodigal father and the lost son story in Luke 15. And we can see the parallels in our own life. But at the big picture, we're going to see these two moving pieces that there's this eros or passion that Jacob is thrust into the world with. He's ambitious from in the womb. And Yahweh partners with Jacob through his life to channel that or bridle that eros 
And that will really be a huge part of the story. So we're going to use this framework when we tell the Jacob story here over the rest of this episode. So I think what would really be helpful, because we can't possibly cover 14 chapters of scripture and tell this whole story in any kind of depth or detail, would be kind of a summary of his life. And then we can break down the stages of, of where we see this formation happen. So Hannah, can you tell us and tell us in 50 words or less <laughs> the story of Jacob's life, or maybe a paragraph or so, how would we summarize Jacob's life? Okay, so he is the grandson of Abraham and Sarah to begin with, and is also a twin. So shout out to any twins listening. So it's Jacob and Esau. And as you said, there's this tossling in the womb from the beginning. And then we see Jacob as this kind of trickster character as he tricks Esau out of his birthright with stew and then there's tension between them and he needs to leave home but as you mentioned we have a slide here which is kind of is very helpful it's quite revealing actually of the different ages of Jacob at various points so he was actually 77 when he left home which I had no idea I always pictured this rebellious teenager so He's 77, leaving home, which sounds about right, and he's leaving to find a wife. So he goes and meets, encounters his uncle Laban, who is about 600 miles away. And then we see the story of him falling in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel, the younger daughter, and agrees to work seven years for her hand in marriage. But he meets his match with Laban, who tricks the trickster here and gives him Leah instead, the older sister. So then after another seven years of work, Jacob is then allowed to also marry Rachel. And then Jacob's ambition, as we mentioned, it kind of serves him well over those 14 years working for Laban because he leaves with a huge amount of wealth, a large family, 12 sons whose families become the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob becomes this great patriarch of God's people and is given the name Israel too, which we've talked about as meaning struggle. And that comes when he's, I think, 97 years old. So... Is that hopefully that was good enough, Dave? That, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a, that's really good. You did a great job. So we will post this little chart. It, it is really revealing, and it's interesting. Scholars have debated a lot over when he was born. You know, Abraham and Jacob and Joseph. The timing, the timeline, as far as when they were born, is debated. But the age that he was at these different stages is pretty much agreed upon, which is pretty fascinating. So we'll share that with our listeners if you're watching online. So let's talk a little bit about the birth narrative and see where we should start here. Hannah, maybe you could read Genesis 25 and 24 to 26. It's kind of key for our story. So when the time came for her, Rebecca, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. I mean... <laughs> Just have to acknowledge coming out like a hairy garment. <laughs> red That's just and hairy. A, okay. That's unfortunate. I mean, red, yeah, it's really an unfortunate <laughs> picture, but that's not what we're focusing on here. I'm sure he was So loved. the Bible makes specific mention, amen to that. The Bible makes specific mention of Jacob grasping his brother's heel. It's important detail. It's an important enough detail that he was named in relation to the event. So Jacob means he grasps the heel actually a Hebrew idiom for he deceives. So this idea of grasping or deceiving or wrestling or struggling is introduced here and it plays into the entire storyline for Jacob. So 
We also see this kind of painted as this picture of Jacob's passion immediately, like in the womb, his eros, his passion is already at work. It will shape his life. It will eventually be how Israel will shape him for his own purposes. So this leads us to this kind of first. So, I mean, obviously a lot happened there and we can't get into the whole tricking him for the birthright and the blessing. We'll talk just generally about that, but independence becomes this first step. And we see that in the Luke narrative in Luke 15. And I think when we get to that, but unfortunately it won't be till next year when we do the gospels, but we'll, we'll draw these parallels again. But at least for now, we need to think about that story is all about the youngest son leaving. And independence is this kind of first step on the spiritual journey that having to figure it out for myself, as you told in your own story. So these two episodes that lead to his departure, his independence, his leaving his family, are that he's manipulating and deceiving to, to receive two things that naturally were not his. So in the ancient world, the blessing and the birthright were for the firstborn, right? Esau's the first one to come out of the womb, therefore he's officially the firstborn. And so the birthright, which is the material inheritance. So these were different things, right? The birthright is the actual material inheritance from the family. We see this story in Genesis 25 about him tricking his brother for a bowl of lentil stew when he was famished. And at this point, the twins were 16. They were teenagers. The second thing that he's inheriting is the blessing. And the way he tricks his brother out of the blessing is his father's getting so old he can't see. And of course, he goes in and pretends to be his brother so that his father, who's now blind, is going to give him the blessing. The blessing was, so he's already got the material inheritance, but this is the leadership of the clan. Who's actually going to have authority in the clan? You can see why it's important those go together, right? Who has the material inheritance? Who has the leadership? But at this point, they're 63 years old. So this is... I mean, this is over 40 to 40 to 50 years later. So the blessings and actual exercise of authority, it was considered binding in this father passing on the blessing. Uh, obviously, Esau, when he finds out, is furious that his father's deceived or that his father was deceived and says, Father, is there no blessing for me either? Right. And so that's what's at play here. So Yeah, I think it's interesting to see God constantly subverts kind of expectations even with that idea of the younger usurping the older and kind of defying those norms and showing he's in control even of custom i do think it's interesting i know we're not we don't have time to go into it but in genesis 25 when the two are in her womb rebecca is actually told this that the older will serve the younger and it's like it's that prediction is already made and i it makes me wonder if what we see that follows the deception of them both, really, if that's similar to last week's episode, this idea of taking the promise into your own hands rather than waiting on God's timing. But that's, yeah, there's some interesting parallels there. Yeah. Well, no, it's, yeah, and there's a lot to think about there with how this plays out and, and what mom was helping to do and what he himself was doing and how manipulation feeds into the story. It's, it's amazing. And it you know, leads to the question a lot of people ask about this. Why Jacob? I mean, he's, he's the deceiver. Why would Jacob be the one who becomes Israel, who becomes the father of the nation? Now, when you look at this through a moral lens and you evaluate him from that lens, it's a really good question, right? 
But when you look at it differently, if you say, well, who's the man with, you know, the kind of the concept of the fire in his belly, then it's a different animal, right? The choice becomes clear. Who's got the ambition to lead? Who's, who's the one with the passion to do something here? So I think it really could be helpful to look at a definition of spirituality here. This is one of the things I love about this definition of Ron Rollheiser gives in his book, The Holy Longing of What Spirituality Is. Hannah, why don't you, could you read that definition for us? I think it gives a lot of insight here. Spirituality is about what we do with the fire inside of us, about how we channel our eros, which makes me think of that quote where it says, it's easier to steer a moving ship than one that's sitting in the docks, that kind of idea, perhaps. Well, and and that's exactly what we see happening, right? So Yahweh is going to shape this ambition, but the ambition has to be there. It, you know, it reminds me of the concept of a car when, you know, a car, God can't put his foot on the gas pedal, but he can help steer if, the, if you've got your foot on the gas pedal. I think there was a song, is there a song by Carrie Underwood called Jesus Take the Wheel? <laughs> Take the Wheel. Yep. yep. Take I've the sung wheel, that right? during exam so, season. Yes. Yeah. So, so this idea that, that ambition Eros is driving us, or that what and what we do with that is our spirituality. And so, how God shapes that is this transformative process that's at work. So, this is what drives him this kind of now contentious he steals the birthright, he steals the blessing, and he's really sent off from the family. And he gains his independence and he goes off and he has to struggle on his own. And that's kind of the second stage of this process for him. So he arrives in Padamaram, which is, I think you said earlier, 600 miles away. He works as a shepherd for 20 years. He Now he has two wives, 12 sons. He's accumulated a massive amount of wealth. And then he has another dream, right? And, and God speaks to him. He guides him in these dreams. So in Genesis 31, Hannah, maybe you could read for us in Genesis 31.10, because it actually shows us God's now, after this kind of rite of passage, becoming his own man, coming to his kind of own faith, he's sent backwards. Hmm. So in verse 10, it says, I once had a dream. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. That's actually referring back to the story you were sharing about when he had the earlier dream and he saw God and he said, God, if you'll be with me. And he named the place Bethel, which is the house of God. Remember we talked in our last episode about El being God. So Bethel is house of El, house of God. So he sees this place now as the house of God where he came to his own faith. He goes off and he sees God working in his life for 20 years. He gets everything that he wants. He's now sent back to his family 20 years later. Now he's 97 years old as he's heading back to reconcile with his family. And that leads us to the next kind of thing that's happening. Humility is a really key part of transformation. Now, we see this in direct 
contrast. This is one of the things Jesus turns on its head, by the way. So for him, for Jacob, he sees God in, he's humble because of how much God blessed him, right? Actually, can you read Genesis 32.10? It, it speaks to this. Yeah. I'm not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Okay, so he's humbled because of all that God has done to bless him. And, and it's a lot. I mean, we don't entirely know all of what he had. We know some of what he had. We get a window into what he had because we see that when he gets to his brother and he's going to send a gift of some of his wealth to appease his brother, that we have kind of a list, right, of all these things that he's offering his brother as part of his wealth. You want to tell our listeners all the yes, things on the list of the Amazon gift? wish list. That's 200 female and 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female and 10 male donkeys. It's a big I mean, that's just the gift, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a big gift. So again, I said earlier in the contrast with the prodigal. So what humbled the prodigal is the prodigal left. The prodigal was also humbled the prodigal son or the lost son. I know we've kind of turned that on its head in one of our previous episodes, but the lost son had this beautiful inheritance and lost it all. And that's what humbled him. So in one case with Jacob, we see he has nothing but his staff and he gains this wealth from God and that humbles him. But with the lost son, he had the inheritance and he lost everything and that's what humbled him. Right. So God works in different ways to bring that humility about. So here he is, he's 97. He's going to appeal to his brother, appease his brother. Then he's going to go back and visit his family. And he gets to this space at the edge of the Jabbok River. And this is where we enter this transformative process or ego becoming maturity. We're going to spend our whole episode on this in the next episode, but a couple key things to draw attention to. So this image of wrestling or struggle, it's been implicit through the whole story. I mean, he's grasping Esau's heel as they emerge from the womb. He's striving with Esau for the birthright when they're 16. He deceives his father to receive his blessing when he's 70, what did I say, 77 or so. Then, which we didn't actually touch on, but it's part of the story is when he gets down to Padamaram, he rolls this huge stone away from the well to water Rachel's camels. So now he's wrestling with a stone. He has all these interactions with Laban. He's wrestling with Laban for Rachel. And then he's tricked to getting Leah. Then he wrestles. I mean, it's so we see wrestling all the time. Now the image of wrestling is made more explicit. And in Genesis 32, verse 22, we see Jacob wrestling with this person all night long which he later discovers is a, a divine being or maybe even God, God's self. So as we're not going to talk about that today, I think the important thing to recognize is what's happening here. We're seeing this transformation so much so that God in this story changes his name from heel grabber or he who deceives to one who prevails or he who struggles with God and overcomes. So Jacob becomes Israel. And that's really important, this before and after of that wrestling match. So tune in next episode, we'll break that down, right? 
But then what happens? These last two pieces in Jacob's life, he engages his brother, he's shown grace, forgiveness becomes a critical part here. Can you read Genesis 33, verse 3 and 4 for us? He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Mm, I love that. This is such a beautiful, right? Mm. Beautiful image of, of forgiveness. And, and we see the similarities with the lost son returning to the prodigal father in that story in Luke 15. The son comes humbled and broken and eager to reconcile and willing to pay for his bad behavior. I mean, you know, the same thing with Jacob. He's willing to, to pay for his bad behavior, but he's received by someone running towards him, eager to embrace, loving family member filled with mercy and grace. There are so many parallels. If you think Jesus had this in mind, perhaps telling the parable of the prodigal son. It's so, well, the that's, connections that's are Bailey's crazy. Thesis. Mm. Right. That, I mean, Bailey actually says there's 51 specific oh, yes. direct yeah. connections. So the whole point is Jesus is retelling Israel, Israel's story. And he's using it to communicate to people that knew that story in a way that's now new and fresh wow. for them, huh. which will be really fun when we get to Luke 15 next year. So we get to this next year. Next year, <laughs> We get to this fun reconciliation piece now, restoring of the family. Can you read Genesis 33, 10 to 12 for us? Yeah. So if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. 20 years after, Jacob deceives and departs from his brother because of this family angst. They're reconciled, which is so significant in this kind of journey that he's been on, right? We see a different man and, and we see this process has really shaped him. So when we look today at all these things we've talked about. And, and really, you know, Jacob is such a significant figure and we're going to see this play out, not just even in the next episode, but we have a special guest for the Joseph episode coming up, one of our friends and scholars who is kind of a specialist on Joseph. And I think what we're going to hear him argue is even Joseph's story is really a subtext, a sub-narrative to the Jacob narrative. That Jacob, which becomes Israel, is the story, right? So we see God forming Jacob, and then we're going to see God forming his people Israel as we're going to get into that whole narrative. So we've looked at this, you know, having to go through these stages of independence, the need to leave home, you know, sometimes, which, you know, I worked in youth and family ministry for, for many, many years, and so many families and parents specifically struggle with puberty. Like when their child is going through the, and it's almost as if God builds into our biological makeup, this need for independence, this, this kind of biological urge to leave home and to make your own friends and to find your own partner. And it's built into our biology. But then secondly, that we all have to struggle to find our space. So there's a rite of passage that happens that moves us through that struggle and then we come to a humility where we come to appreciate the things that maybe we should have before but didn't, right? 
So transformation, especially into our older selves, which I appreciate your question earlier, does everybody make it, you know, spiritually into these later stages of the journey? One of the biggest things that we see that doesn't happen is the surrender of ego. So many people live their Christian lives and maintain that sense of self and ego all the way to the end. And it, it's, the limit, it's one of the biggest limiting factors of maturity is our inability to let go of our ego. But that's a big part of this. And then to just see grace and, and reconciliation at the end, that God knits it back together, even the mistakes that were made. And you know, you talked about that in the Sarah and Hagar episode, that so often our behaviors aren't in line with God's intent and God still works, right? And God brings these things around. So I think to see God even knitting together these relationships that get broken is really powerful at the end of this journey. Well, thank you for this framework. It's even as you're sharing that summary, I feel like I can we can map our own selves onto this journey of Jacob's, the independence, the struggle. So thank you for introducing it. And I'm will we see more of this concept then to come, this idea of journey as a concept? Yeah, it's really, it's really like a lot of these other things that we've started introducing. You know, we've introduced covenant, we've introduced promises, we've introduced, you know, you talked about the concept of the foreigner. Journey becomes really integral from this point on. We're going to see the journey of future people. We see Moses' journey, David's journey, we see Israel's journey. So we see communal journeys and we see development as an integral part of of transformation and formation. So transformation being introduced here is important too. That the spiritual life is, is about becoming something more. Again, back to Genesis 126, becoming the likeness of God, not just the image of God, but also forming the likeness of, of God. And so, yes, this is going to be on and on and on and on and on. Now, you just brought up something also really interesting. You said we can almost map our own lives onto these things. And, and I think that's what these models and frameworks do for us, right? They, they give us this architecture to think about how am I doing and where am I progressing? And yet it's not simple all the time. It's not a direct mapping. Most of us won't live to be 147 years old the way I Jacob did. And, and <laughs> right, hopefully we're not sorting out our humility and transformation when we're 97 years old. But but yeah, so, so we're going to see similarities in our own journeys. We're going to see differences in our own journeys. And even as we unpack journey, we're going to see more and more of that as we progress. So hmm. anyway, so next time, we're just going to really lock into one text in Genesis 32. It'll be really fun to talk about Jacob wrestling with hmm. a person or an angel or God. We'll let our listeners figure out what they think happened there mm-hmm. hopefully after our next episode. So thanks, Hannah, as always, Thank for being you. my dialogue partner today. Of course. Thank you, Dave. And we'll see you all next week. All right. Till next episode. Goodbye, Hannah. Goodbye, Gilgamesh. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for joining this Thread Conversation. We're more than a podcast. Check out threadpodcast.org for more immersive content. Though I'm on here, I get a better of this boundless world